So I'm gonna I'm just gonna intro it and throw it to you, Rachel. I'm gonna sip real okay. quick. Hold on. <laughs> I have been recording for the last three minutes. That also, oh, so. totally an outtake right there. <laughs> My To the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And this is a special episode of our first book club wrap up, which is super exciting. All of us read and or listened to our book club book, and now we get to talk about it. So this is going to be fun. Sarah, uh, I'm just going to interrupt you and say, oh, yes. you're, it's totally, totally acceptable to refer to reading. Whether you do it with your eyes or your ears, it's all reading. It doesn't, you don't have to like... Do the Make caveat the of, you know, I listened to it, I didn't read it. I was wondering, it's reading. Now I'm into audiobooks because of this book club segment on the Lutheran Ladies <laughs> it's Lounge. okay. And I, I have not been sure how to refer to my audiobook habit if, I, yeah. if I'm actually reading, you, even though I'm reading. Raised. You're oh, reading. You're reading an audiobook. I yes. feel validated. Audiobooks count. Yes. <laughs> totally count. This is fantastic. My yep. list is growing. Anyway, this yeah. is not about my reading habits. Rachel, uh, what, are, what are we talking about? <laughs> We are talking about, and this is our first book club pick, um, and I was super excited to read it with everybody, A Year Down Yonder by Richard Peck. He actually won the John Newbery honor, no, he won the medal for this one. He won the honor for another one of his books. Um, And it's not not a long read, and if you didn't hit it the first time around, do go back through, find it. You can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold or in your local library. Um, It's a wonderful story about a teenage girl going to spend a year uh, in the toward the end of the depression. Her her parents actually can't afford to like keep her at home because they have to get a like one room apartment. So she gets shipped off for a year to stay with her grandma Dowdle in this small town in rural southern Illinois. Now, of course, that's one reason why I thought this would be a really good book for us, because I know there are a lot of Lutherans down in rural southern Illinois, (laughs) including some who would probably feel very familiar, that the the time and place of this book might feel familiar. Um, And sure enough, a a bunch bunch of you on our Facebook group got the book, read it, Loved it because it's hilarious, um, <laughs> and but also gets some really sort of deep uh, human issues, and we'll get on. We'll get into that here in a couple of minutes. Um, but want to hand it off to you guys and ask, what did you think of our first book club book, A Year Down Yonder? I loved it. It's actually probably <laughs> the first book that I've really legit read in a really long time i'm gonna to be I'm, honest i'm gonna agree with that like it's the first book that i've fully ingested that wasn't a textbook yeah and it was quite enjoyable it here's, was so fun here's the other thing about reading too like <laughs> as an adult <laughs> this book was obviously not like that's not the main audience i don't feel like this is probably a book that i would have read in junior high or high school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is this yep. is literature for children. It's liter- It's a people. children's book. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. I don't want that to necessarily take away from the enjoyment of it, and I just no. feel like 
I don't know. I read kids' books. And it, it shouldn't. I mean, yeah. the Narnia books are children's books. Oh. The Hobbit was written for children. <gasps> I um, love the Hobbit. So many things that we now think of as, as great literature were written originally for children, and there's no shame in that. I read children's books with as much pleasure as I read adult books, sometimes more. A lot well, what's good more, for actually. Rachel is, uh, is good for me. So I'm really going to go with that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and books like this, it's good to have literature like this that you can read at any age. You're going to end up taking something different from it, depending on where you are in your stage of life. Like if I read this as a high schooler, I would probably not understand it in nearly the same way as reading right. it as an adult now living near mm. Southern Illinois-ish mm-hmm. and actually having driven through there mm-hmm. and knowing more stories from people and, and experiencing more of life. You just, it's it's a different story in a different stage of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I also really enjoyed it. I, <laughs> unlike, unlike Sarah and Bree, I, I am more of a constant reader <laughs> uh, and always have been. That's something that my parents managed to instill in in all three of us kids, uh, a, a true love of reading. And I never went to grad school. And so I, I understand from many of my friends who have done that, that's often a, a real challenge to keep up with your with your your reading life but I've never had that so I loved it though and it fits into the nicely into the picture of of children's literature and young adult literature and just playing good old stories it's a good story with rich yeah. characters and that's what made it so enjoyable for me and there's not a whole, well and I'm not gonna say it didn't the book didn't make me think because it did but it was it was kind of a simple read and not in a bad way yeah. I think it was more of just here are some vignettes from everyday life in this one point in time in this one place in time kind of just strung together through this girl's life in Southern Illinois. And it was, it was just, it was an enjoyable read. It was Mm -hmm. just generally, and it wasn't like, it didn't drum up, you know, huge, like big emotions for me. You didn't want to like throw the book across the room. Right. It wasn't like an emotionally (laughs) draining story to read. I agree. However, I did find that as I was thinking about it afterwards and working through some of the discussion questions that that Rachel had posted that there were as I like thought about it more there were there were elements of it that I wasn't aware it flew by me initially when I was reading it didn't really sink in but like on reflection there were actually parts that did make me more I don't know that gave me more pause that made me more uncomfortable and made me think more right but I I didn't run into those while I was reading it was Mm -hmm. more afterwards on reflecting on looking at the whole story that's when I started noticing them right yeah I would agree well since since you've mentioned those questions and I agree with everything you've said sometimes you just want to read a book that's a good story Mm -hmm. but it is possible to write a book that is just a good story but that also has a whole lot going on beneath the surface and that's one reason I love this book now, on our Facebook discussion group, we had, and people had a little trouble finding this, so we're going to do it differently mm-hmm. next time. But if mm-hmm. you want still to jump into this conversation, there's no reason you can't. Go to our Facebook discussion group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge, and you'll see it somewhere on that homepage is a topics for conversation, and there's a book club tag. Find that book club tag or search for it, and you're golden, you will find all 14-ish posts <laughs> on this topic. And there's some discussion questions that there, that you can jump in on still. But what I wanted to do here was to have each of you three, our 
in-studio portion of the Lutheran Ladies Book Club, pick one of those discussions for us to talk about a little bit on air. And for those of you who missed them the first time, we had six questions. I was going to do more, but you know, these were going so well. Why, <laughs> why belabor that? One asked about the historical details in the book. One talked about notions of freedom and the American dream. One talked about ideas of beauty and body image. One was on war and veterans and how we remember our shared traumas. Uh, there was one on community and relationships and one on the verdicts. And you're just going to have to read the book if you haven't yet to understand what I mean by verdicts. The verdicts. So, um, <laughs> I'll throw it to you first, Sarah. Which question would you like to talk about? So I'm a bit of a closeted, not so closeted anymore history nerd because now that I'm into audiobooks, all that I'm... That door done swung open, girl. All I'm reading mm-hmm. is historical fiction now, so... <laughs> Um, so I want to talk about the history because that's what really makes me jazzed up about books and things. Reading this book in in a historical context is always really fun to to kind of put myself in that place um, mm-hmm. and to and to connect dots from other places and other things that I already know um, and bring all that context into the book and and understand the characters' stories in the context of where they are at that point in history. The discussion question on Facebook was really interesting. I always love hearing people's stories about their mm-hmm. grandparents. Um, yeah. it, it's always because because so many of us have a shared experience. So many of us Americans, anyway, that grew up maybe in the Midwest, we have this shared experience of hearing grandparents' stories from Depression area, and so many of us share a lot of that same history. Even if even if they lived that time, it, maybe in a slightly different way. There's that all of the the shared history of making things last as long as possible, and mm-hmm. um, not throwing things away, and recycling as much as you can, making as much as you can. Even if you're not like a, a maker by trade, you become a maker because that's what you have to do in order to survive in a time like that. And also knowing more about land and about animals and about how to survive. Uh, when you just don't have a lot. I think uh, someone mentioned we've lost that. Oh, it was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Allman. That maybe those of us who don't live in country and farmland anymore, we've lost a little bit of that ability to live off the land and to be very resourceful with things. Maybe not any fault of our own, but just because of our own circumstances that we just don't have to anymore. And that's something I want to actually learn more about. Now that I've married into... Uh, a farming family. Um, a lot of my reference for this time period actually comes from my grandparents-in-law, uh, my husband's grandparents, because they actually grew up on a farm. They died uh, more recently, so I know them better. Um, and just knowing all of this stuff from my husband's grandma, uh, the way that she would make food, save stuff, uh, all of this kind of rang truer to me because I know of of uh, my husband's grandmother's experience in really rural Midwest farmland. Let's go back. 50 plus years and how many people were like turning tail being like we want to move away from this hard heavy labor as much as possible like <laughs> let's this is this home for the, from the future it will make your meals for you in right. two seconds like and now we see sort of this movement back Sarah mm-hmm. I don't think you're the only one that they want to learn how to make stuff with their hands they want to make their dollar go further they want to make their food go further and mm-hmm. so yeah I think that that there is definitely sort of this desire to to move back to this, you know, 
simpler, quote unquote, less technological mm-hmm. time. Well, and, yeah. and relying on not having to rely on other people for stuff. Right. Like having a farm, having mm-hmm. chickens, knowing how to make stuff so that you don't have to rely Trap on. Trap your own furs for, right. for train tickets. There you go. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one one reason I asked the question the way I, I did on Facebook, I was trying to get people to bring out their stories because whenever I read historical fiction, my first instinct is, oh, I want to sink myself into this world imaginatively Mm -hmm. and really get a 360 view of what life was like Mm -hmm. in this time and in this place. But my second instinct is to put on the brakes and go, wait a minute, is this actually the way it was? Is Mm -hmm. this actually accurate? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted especially to bring in uh, voices from some of the slightly older than me uh, mm. ladies in the mm-hmm. lounge and and bounce it off them and say, you read the book. Is this how it really was? And what I read in comment after comment was, yeah, this was kind of. I love this comment by Denise Muley. I'm probably mispronouncing her, her last name. She says she was raised or her mother's family was raised in a coal mining company town. Yes. In the summer, the miners did not go to the mines. So the whole community went into the mountains of Wyoming and lived off the land, hunting rabbits and fishing. My mother had one pair of shoes a year in the fall for school. Wow. By summer, she had outgrown them and so went barefoot. She and her three sisters shared one double bed their whole childhood, two at the head, two at the foot, and all the legs in between. That's amazing. <laughs> That's the sort of thing that we couldn't really make up. And if we did make it up, we'd go, nah, no way did they right. actually live that way. Yeah. And yet we see this resilience, this resourcefulness, mm-hmm. this hard work and make do with nature. And that, that comes through so well in the book, but it turns out it's actually accurate, which is great. I could talk about this all day, obviously, but (laughs) Aaron, what was the question that most spoke to you when we were talking about the book online? Yeah, I was really struck by the question uh, on the topic of beauty. And you talked about how the first half of the 20th century was sort of the golden age of glamour Mm. and asked how, how he plays with ideas of beauty and fashion and glamour and vanity and who's who's beautiful what makes them beautiful how much does outward beauty actually matter that is something that i don't be- beauty is a there's whole you know <laughs> how much time you got exactly ah <laughs> uh, that's that's a giant topic of its own through the ages it's always been a topic but some of our some of the the people who are participating they had some some different thoughts on it. One, Diana Albers talked about how Grandma Dowdle never stopped working to provide for Mary Alice and herself. She didn't take anything for granted, but also that other people often seemed to look down on her because of the, her outward appearance, and she had no patience with their inward qualities, like the DAR. Grandma had no patience with with them for their inward qualities. That then sort of made me think about my own approach because the people who know me in person and even even on on you know social media who who know me more that way know that I enjoy fashion. I enjoy like <laughs> selecting how I am going to present myself. I don't know that it's necessarily that I'm always aiming for typical beauty. 
but I like to use my physical appearance as a way to communicate. And not everyone likes taking that approach, but I think everyone does that. And then it made me wonder, we all take in that communication as well from other people. And how often do I do I not have patience with people? And because that was an aspect of grandma's personality that much as I liked her, that was also an aspect of it that I was sometimes not so comfortable with that <laughs> she she was sort of harsh. She's in a how complicated she, woman. Yeah, she yeah. was. She was. Rachel, you had the comment that characters who let their external appearance drive who they think they are and how they think others should see them can come across as laughably ridiculous. And, oh, there's been times through the years that I'm sure I've come across as laughably ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> high school. Of Hello. Mrs. L.J. <laughs> no. Weidenbach in her shoes that are too small. Yes. Um, and yes. that makes her walk ridiculously. Carlene Lovejoy shaving off her eyebrows to paint on new ones. So I mean, it just, uh, that was actually silly. something that I remember so she, I don't. She did not shave them off. I don't think. But my my grandma, my dad's mom, apparently when she was young, she either shaved or plucked her eyebrows because that was the fashion, and they never grew back. <gasps> and so oh. her whole oh, her no. whole adult life, then she always drew on her eyebrows, and that was just mm-hmm. how I knew her. And and at some point, I think I asked, and my dad was like, "Oh yeah, when she was young, she she did that, and they never grew back." So that was another <laughs> another instance of when I'm like, "Hey, he's." This is ticking off a little a little piece of history that matches with my, you know, shared experience of my own family's history. And I, I think with fashion being cyclical too. Like I just oh, think man. about mm-hmm. my childhood's coming back to haunt I, me. Right, like I when I was in <laughs> high school, like thin Defined like that was oh yeah that was in vogue uh-huh. like, eyebrows uh-huh. straight hair like now your grandma was uh huh eyebrows not on fleek is uh-huh. what the children would say because yeah. uh-huh. now yeah. they're like big and <laughs> yeah giants yeah. you know um, true. Kelly Rufato had a comment about grandma that her attitude towards beauty doesn't demonize getting fancied up at times which. This type of character might do if not balanced. And actually, I, I disagree a little bit because I think think Grandma's attitude does a little bit lean towards that, but not not fully. I think she's not there. But she goes on in this, the second half of her comment says, being fancy is just not where she finds her identity or her confidence. And that I totally agree with mm-hmm. Grandma not using that as the only way it was more of she uses she uses it very intentionally because she's confident mm-hmm. in who she is mm-hmm. therefore she chooses very intentionally how she when she wants to actually dress up and and be all fancy and put on the ritz and when she's like no i need to be dealing with the the cat out in the the shed and digging through and repairing i don't know going out and hunting foxes and things like that it's not the time to wear your high heels no right. it's not and so she she did not let her outward appearance be the primary driver she let the she's intentional about how about how she chose to present herself based on mm-hmm. the function i guess function right. over form maybe is is what i would get i at. think maybe um, is it more of like her attitude informs how she dresses and not the other way around is yes. that what you're suggesting yeah i because i think is. so many yeah. people use fashion yeah. to portray a certain attitude or belief or posture but mm. I think mm-hmm. 
Grandma Dowdle maybe uses who she is and her beliefs and her et cetera to inform how yeah. she dresses, how she presents herself. Yeah, that, well, that's that's a good good way. Although I, to an extent, I'm not so sure how easy it is to separate them out because sure. I think I do think you're right in that that is more the the prioritization that she would give to that. I don't know. One I just thing, I found it very thought provoking. Go ahead. One thing that didn't come up in the discussion, and I was kind of curious as to whether it would or not, is something that I noticed on reading the book, and that is the actual main character. Uh, Mary Alice, we actually don't know very much about what she looks like. Mm. You know, she has two oh, yeah. dresses. She wanted a Cuban heel. She mm-hmm. had a finger wave when she showed up, but her hair grew out and her grandma had been cutting it. We don't know what color her hair is, her eyes. We know she's somewhat larger in stature because she takes after her grandmother. It's genetic. But we know next to nothing <laughs> about this teenage girl. And most other books like this that focus mm. on a teenage girl heroine, you would know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's true. You know everything about Carlene Lovejoy. You don't about Mary Alice. And I think that really helps you think about her as ironically as being a person rather than a, I don't know, a fashion plate. It also, for me, reinforces this book's message that what a person looks like isn't nearly as important as what they do and how that mm. reveals their character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also it was also uh, easier for for me anyway to actually put myself in her shoes because I didn't know what she looked right. like and and her physical appearance isn't isn't shown much so that makes it easier for me to be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this could have this could be me in a right. different yeah. time and place." For all yeah. we know, she looks just like me. I don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Rachel, really she looks move. like me, so <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Bree, I think you're the one who hasn't picked a question yet. What I have not like picked a question. Dig into. So I believe the the question that I was I was very interested in had to do with neighborliness and how we treat our neighbor, specifically those that are not a whole lot like us, or maybe they are the neighbor that has a reputation or I don't know, just generally different or disruptive. Um, (laughs) Namely, in the form of the Burdick family. So I'm actually, I pulled up your question. I'm going to just read some of it so that you all have some context where I'm, I'm coming from here. The Burdick family is played for laughs throughout the book, but peel away the laugh lines and it's hard to see them as anything other than a multi-generational tragedy in progress. Mm. Poverty, crime, incarceration, unwed teen motherhood, and lack of education are just a few of the social ills plaguing this family. The community's response to them runs the gamut from self-defense to damage control to quarantine to darkly humorous resignation, but nothing, short of removing children from it and bringing them up in anonymity, seems to make any positive difference. How, if at all, could Grandma and her community perhaps have done a better job of being neighborly to someone like the pregnant high school dropout Mildred Burdick, And how can we in our own communities do a better job of loving and helping the Burdicks around us? And I think that that was an excellent point to bring up. I wasn't sure if it was like my own baggage or like the fact that I am sort of a self-described city slicker and Mm -hmm. I just don't get the country lifestyle or, you know, the romanticizing of, of a certain way of life. 
But once I had read that question, Rachel, it actually, I think, kind of clicked for me that as resilient, as resourceful, as funny and kind and loving as the people are in that book, there's still sort of this, I don't know if it's a like a fear of vulnerability or a willingness to sort of dwell in discomfort with the others in our communities to the extent where the people who are different from us are the butt of jokes or are pranks or having your horse run away and you have to walk home five miles in barefoot kind of... That'll teach him to bully people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we can read this story sort of anachronistically when we are we talk about sort of this, this movement... T- towards an anti-bullying culture that we are in now, sort of these these giant strides that we're trying to take to end bullying in schools and on the internet. And you look at an example like this story and how the verdicts are treated, and it's actually kind of sad that these these people, these heroines in this book and these these good people still sort of look down upon people who are different or don't have their lives together and so there's a a limit to neighborliness i mean this is a woman who will take a crowbar and pry plaster off a you know old codger who basically curses her out of his house afterwards (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean she's a very neighboring person Mm -hmm. but when it comes to mildred burdick and maybe it was just mildred picked on the wrong kid at school Mm -hmm. um you know grandma will neighbor you unless you pick on her granddaughter and then but it was it was only in and I've read this book many times but it was only in this reading that it really popped out at me oh Mildred's like 16 mm-hmm. pregnant possibly an incestuous incestuous situation mm-hmm. there she's poor she's got nothing why does grandma pick on her and it really just sort of caught in me but I think too you you mentioned anachronism Brie we read this after Lyndon B. Johnson's War on Poverty in the 60s. You know, before then, and this wonderful wise woman, Deborah McMillan Weshy, my mother, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and she said, I think Peck captured the attitude that was far more common in previous generations. God helps those who help themselves. Mm -hmm. Cleanliness is next to godliness. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And how there was this idea that you were responsible in some way for the mishaps that befell you Mm -hmm. and that you needed to sort of play a role in getting yourself out of those mishaps. But it's tough because I don't know where I stand on the verdict issue. Was Mildred an absolute jerk to someone who needed a friend? Yes. Did she deserve to have to walk home pregnant apparently five miles without shoes no so i don't know (laughs) it is it's it's tough but i think even today there there's sort of that residual behavior in how we deal with our neighbors people we're in close proximity with that are sort of disruptive or different and so maybe there's just nothing new and you know another thing that this question brings up is we back to your question about the or your point about the nostalgia that we feel for this time and this place. And, oh, weren't they so much better at being neighbors then than we are now? Well, yes and no. So I think we can learn good things from this time and and from this story, but also take away some cautionary tales of maybe we don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe we want to look through the Burdick's bad situation and, like, see them as more human 
Mm-hmm. Than the people around I us mean, are prone to do. Speaking of verdicts, like there's also the the big the big reveal at the tea party where, yeah. uh, <laughs> like she she suddenly spoilers, Erin. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> seven second pause. Like, go. I think about that and I'm like, okay, so that was satisfying because she got to you know upset the fancy lady in the tea party and make this big. Re- but this these were like long lost sisters. And it got turned into an opportunity for for petty revenge, mm-hmm. and it could have been it could have been so much, so much more. And instead, it 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 fell to that just an opportunity to have fun at someone else's expense. It mm-hmm. didn't actually now restore this sisterly relationship with them mm-hmm. that maybe there could have been that other opportunity. So. Yeah, I don't know. This it is remind, sort of... That scene reminded me very much of Mary's line in the Magnificat. He has uh, raised up the lowly and cast down the mighty <laughs> from their thrones. Yes. <laughs> and in that one moment, yes. Effie Wilcox got some dignity to mm-hmm. her and some closure. Yeah. Whereas Mrs. L.J. Weidenbach, the haughty banker's wife, found out she was nothing special. And had to then deal with that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but neighborliness is, is a topic that I think comes up. There's this wonderful line after the tornado incident where Mary Alice asks if Effie Wilcox is Grandma's best friend. Mm. She says, Grandma, is Mrs. Wilcox your best friend? We neighbors, she said. That's all. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like this uh, this neighborliness transcends friendship. You don't and have that's to what I think. You don't have to yeah, like each other to be kind and right and good right. to your neighbor even if you don't like them. Like mm-hmm. And that's a lesson I think we can take into our churches too mm-hmm. because here we have this community like a small town that has all sorts of different kinds of people with different backgrounds that wouldn't necessarily maybe choose to be friends if they were out on the open market, but they're drawn together by the gospel. They're united in Christ and they're stuck to one another, whether they want to or not. Mm -hmm. So are you best friends with the person you sit, you know, behind in church? Doesn't matter. We're neighbors. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that I think can translate into our church relationships as well. Of course. Mm -hmm. Empathy. 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 Empathy keeps coming up in these podcasts. (laughs) What? Good. Good. We We need more empathy. We all need more empathy. Yes. So any more comments, questions, concerns, uh, et cetera, on this book before we sort of close it and move on to the next one? I hope the next one is as good as this one. That's all I have to say. Oh, I want to know what the next one is. Okay. Well, as before, I want you guys to help me pick because I can't choose these things on my own. I need, like, I've got it narrowed down to, like, six for now. But before we pick our book, I just want to mention to people out there, I know that some people had trouble finding our Facebook conversations on this book, and we're going to try and make it easier for you next time. Rather than having our book club discussion sort of floating out in the the giant thread of prayer requests and cookie photos and things like that (laughs) go on every day. We're going to actually create an event for each book discussion. Once we create that event, all you have to say is, I'm going or I'm interested. You won't actually have to show up anywhere physically. (laughs) But that way, when new comments are posted in this particular discussion, you'll get an alert right away and you can chime in and we'll hopefully be able to keep the conversation a little bit more accessible to people that way. 
We'll see if it works. So watch for this. <laughs> we'll see. Try. This is an experiment. We got to yes. make this work, guys. <laughs> so what is that next book going to be? We had a topic, a genre left over from last time okay. that I thought we might want to revisit, and okay. I'll add one more genre. So you guys get to pick okay. of two genres. One, more historical fiction, but yes. this time from the perspective of an older but wiser narrator. Genre number two will go somewhere completely different. Nonfiction. Nonfiction that is almost guaranteed to make you the smarty pants at your next church function. Oh, man. Wow. That is a hard choice. That is not a hard choice. That is both the things I love. No. <laughs> Whatever we pick, we'll save, we'll save the other category for next time. So don't, you won't be, You're this won't be the last year of it. You're not actually eliminating anything. So I think we should do nonfiction. And I'm not even normally a nonfiction person, but I think it's good to have a little rotation. I'm not smart enough. But that's my vote. That's you my are smart enough, Bree. What do you mean you're not smart enough? That's why you read. Also, I'm really curious what interesting nonfiction you're going to give us because okay, I also don't read it. Well, that's not true. I read a lot of nonfiction on Google. <laughs> <laughs> Does Wikipedia count? That's the internet. Okay, Everything so on this real count. Here are your three choices for Smarty Pants nonfiction. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, boy. Would you rather read a book that made you the Smarty Pants at the church coffee hour? At the church rummage sale, or at the church Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest rummage sale. <laughs> Are you gonna say coffee uh, hour? You might have to tiebreaker this one for us. <laughs> I'm gonna go with rummage sale. All right, that's fine. Okay, I'm super excited about this because I've been hearing good things about this book. I have not actually read it yet, Ooh. so hopefully it's not awful. <laughs> But it's just great. It's just recent. It was just out in November. Give me a break, Brie. Okay. okay. That's fine. So what have you been doing? Our, <laughs> our next. What do you do all day? <laughs> I've got to sit down first. That's <laughs> We love you, Rachel. <laughs> okay. So, as with our previous books, I do, do vet all of these to make sure that they are previous books. One book. Um, make sure that they are available in hard copy audiobook and ebook and this one is so we are going to be reading secondhand travels in the new global garage sale Whoa. by adam minter what so looking so that up real quick I... yeah like we, we all gonna go <laughs> look this up <laughs> so here's a here's a little excerpt from the amazon description downsizing decluttering a parent's death sooner or later all of us are faced with things we no longer need or want but when we drop our old clothes and other items off at a local donation center where do they go sometimes across the country or even halfway across the world to people and places who find value in what we leave behind so I think this book looks really fascinating. I am a huge thrift shopper. I'm a huge Same. rummage sailor, mm-hmm. and I donate tons of stuff, and I buy tons of stuff. And I'm just I'm just one way station on the global thrift journey for all this stuff. But Same. I'm really looking forward to reading this, and I think it'll be a really eye-opening look at what we do with stuff when we're just done with it. Just FYI, the release date for this on Audible is February 4th. Oh, That's okay. right around the corner. That's plenty of time. So <laughs> this, is, this is a number one bestseller in waste management. Oh. So that. Whoa, that sounds great. <laughs> That's a whole category. <laughs> that is a whole category. <laughs> so anyway, I look forward to reconnecting with you at that uh, in, a, in a month or two, two months probably. And then we'll revisit historical fiction at a later date. Okay, that's fine. All right. It's okay. Excellent. Cool. I'm not mad. So secondhand 
Travels in the New Global Garage Sale. That's our new book. By Daniel. Yes. Adam Minter. Adam Minter. (laughs) I'm really excited about this one, too. Um, I'm a huge... I think probably my entire wardrobe is secondhand, and I'm not shy about telling people Mm -mm. that. When they they tell me that they really like something I'm wearing, I'm like, you know where I got this? At the thrift store. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yes, this will be great. Join us for the next book club in Lutheran Ladies Lounge. We're going to try to make it easier for all of you. So, if, if it is easier or not for you all to find the discussion, please give us your feedback about mm-hmm. this, because we do actually want to make this a fun process for everyone, and I did hear several people uh, that say that, that it was a little challenging for them to be involved the last time. So we we do want you all involved, so please tell us if it's working or not for you, and we're, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> so our next book is Secondhand Travels in the New Global Garage Sale by Adam Minter. Go find it uh, wherever, however you like to read your books. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Of course, join us in our Facebook group, The Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can find all of our discussions uh, beyond books, if books aren't really your thing, but books really should be your thing. Because <laughs> they're really fun. <laughs> <laughs> if I can read, you can read. It's true. <laughs> You're listening to The Lutheran Ladies Lounge Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. <laughs> and I'm Rachel. <laughs> I was testing sound effects. <laughs>